invite you to rise to the reading of the Holy Gospel. The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to Matthew, glory to you, Lord Christ. When the Son of Man comes in his glory with all his angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered the nations, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. The sheep he will place on his right hand and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous shall say to him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you food, or a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will say to them, truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. And then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you cursed, into the fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was naked and you did not clothe me. I was a stranger and you did not welcome me. I was sick and in prison and you did not visit me. And then they also shall say to him, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and not minister to you? And then he shall say, truly, I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go off into eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. The gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Let us pray. Father, we Believe that all Holy Scripture is written for our learning, and so we pray now by your Holy Spirit that we would so hear, read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest this, your Holy Word, that we would be changed more and more to be like Jesus for the sake of the world. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. I invite you to be seated. I feel like I have to apologize to the people on this side of the room, on my left here. You know, as you read a passage like that and I start gesturing to the sheep and the goats here, you're never going to sit on this side of the church ever again. The truth is, I know who I want to be in this passage. I know which of the two groups I want to be in. The trouble is, I struggle to live like a sheep. I know which of these two groups I want to be on the last day of judgment, but I struggle to live like a sheep. This is a scary passage, and yet, as Dale Bruner says, Jesus loves human beings, 
and wants to save them from messed up eternities, and so he tells his scary stories sometimes. But in fact, there's good news, really amazing good news, unbelievable good news in this seemingly scary story, if we can hear it this morning. You see, the primary and sole cause of separation in this story, in verse 32, is whether you're a sheep or a goat. Verse 32, the nation shall be gathered before him and he shall separate people as one, as a shepherd separates sheep from goats. Now, in the context of ancient Israel, uh, sheep out on the pasture lands get rather dirty, get rather muddy and wet and matted. And it's actually very difficult within a herd to distinguish between the sheep and the goats. The only way you can really see the difference, the only distinguishing mark between a sheep and a goat, the identifiable picture is the goat's tail sticks up and the sheep's tail hangs down. And by that, the shepherd will go through the flock and split them out. What Jesus is telling us is that when we look upon this world, the only discernible mark amongst all the human beings out here who are muddy and dirty and matted, the only distinguishable difference that shows whether they're sheep or goats is not a matter of tails. It's about how they deal with the least of these around them. Those who are hungry, those who are thirsty, those who are strangers, those who are naked, those who are sick and in prison. That that becomes the distinguishing mark by which we could see even today, in part, which are the sheep and which are the goats. I know I want to be a sheep. I want to serve the least of these, as Jesus calls us. He says in verse 40, in fact, that he identifies with service towards the least of these as service towards him. And, terrifyingly, identifies with lack of service towards the least of these as lack of service towards him. I want to be a sheep, but I struggle to be a sheep. Is there any hope for struggling sheep? Oh, how I love to tell the gospel. See, here's what Jesus is telling us. The amazing good news that's contained within this hard story of judgment. The good news is this. That if you're in Christ, you are a sheep. I mean, I could stop there. I'll keep going. Three points are required every Sunday. But if you're in Christ, you are a sheep. That the work has been done despite your report card, despite how well you're living in to your sheephood, if you have committed your life to Christ, if you have said yes to him as Lord and Savior, you are a sheep. You may be struggling as a sheep, but you are a sheep. The second thing we see here, the good news, is that not only you are a sheep if you're in Christ, but you are called to serve. You are sent 
to serve. You are called to live into that sheep-like calling we see in this passage. Even if you've been struggling with it, even if you feel you've put it aside for a good portion of your life, the call is still there and you feel it, don't deny it. You know the call. If you're in Christ, you are a sheep and you feel that call to serve. But here's the amazing thing. Is not only does Jesus show us that if we're in Christ, if we're in him, we are sheep already prepared for that last day, that we are called into service, even if we've been denying it and struggling it with us, the call is still there. But this call to serve is nothing less than serving as we've already been served. He has shown you what this service looks like. He has shown you and I what it looks like for the least of these to be served. I'll show you what I mean in a minute. But for now, first, if you're in Christ, you are a sheep. Oh, how we need to hear that one word in verse 34, inherit. Because if not, this word inherit, which means something that we receive not because of what we've done, but because of who we are, right? You get a salary or wages for what you do. You get an inheritance for who you are. And it's so important, Jesus says, come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom. Because if Jesus had said, come, you blessed of my father and receive your wages of the kingdom, then this would be the most horrible thing we would have ever heard. Because there is not a single one of us that could ever live a life where we could earn the kingdom. But that's not how the kingdom of God works. Jesus says, blessed are you of my father, inherit the kingdom. See, the inheritance means that a work has been done to make us into those who can, by nature of what we are, who we are, have this gift given to us, be welcomed in. And the truth is you and I can't make ourselves sheep. We can't earn it. It's a pure gift from God that is given to us. I mean, how do we become sheep? How does a person come to Jesus and receive him as Lord and Savior? Well, it's actually contained in verse 34 here in Matthew 25. The first word, in fact, he says, is the word come. Come, you blessed of my Father. Come. Isn't it interesting here at the end of Matthew's gospel that the first word at judgment is Come, and it's the same word that Jesus first issued to those disciples back in Matthew chapter 4. He walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw them in their fishing boats, and said, Come, come to me. On the last day, the first word that we've spoken to us is the same first word that Jesus speaks over every human heart. And it is how we respond to that call, Come to me, that is the basis of our, our judgment and our salvation. Right, That word, on it hangs everything about Judgment Day for us. If we have received that invitation to come to him, then we stand without fear before the throne. Jesus has made us to be ready for that day. He has done the work to make us ready for that day. You know, it's interesting. A number of years ago, as some of you know, I became an honorary Texan. I have paperwork to back it up. Several people presented to me at one of our church events a piece of paper from the governor 
that said my name and then said, I'm now an honorary Texan. And I have used that as a badge of honor. But here's the funny thing. I was declared to be an honorary Texan several years ago. The funny thing is, it's starting to work. Because I'll tell you, this morning, I am freezing cold. <laughs> freezing cold. I'm putting my, my, my wool coat and my scarf on, and I'm still not warm enough. I have become the Texan that I was declared to be. Why? Because Governor Greg Abbott said so. <laughs> and yet, is this not exactly how the gospel works? But even more. I am who I am, and you are who you are, because the King of Kings has said so. When we respond affirmatively to his invitation, come, he makes us into something that we cannot make ourselves into. He makes us sheep. In fact, look at the word righteous. In verse 36, verse 37, and verse 46, the sheep, this side of the room, are referred to as righteous. Righteous. And you've you got to say, wait a second, how can they be righteous? Because righteous in the Bible means rightly related, right standing, in the right place. Everything in them is right before a holy God. Well, how could we possibly be righteous when Jesus himself in Mark chapter 10 said, there is no one who is good but God. How can any human being ever be called righteous if it were not for the words of 1 John chapter 2? where he says, if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous, the righteous one, and he is the propitiation for our sins. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. He has made it possible that the unrighteous could be called righteous. For as 2 Corinthians 5 says, God made him who knew no sin, the righteous one, to be sin on our behalf, that we might become the righteousness of God. This is what God has done in Christ Jesus, has made us to be sheep, to be righteous. Can you, can you hear it? That we are righteous not because we do good, but we do good because we have been made righteous. Oh, can I say that again? We are not righteous because we do good, but we do good because we have been made righteous. The order is so important. The order is essential. In fact, our Anglican Catechism, that wonderful little book you can get in the bookstore called To Be a Christian, that was edited by J.I. Packer, one of the greatest Anglican theologians of the 20th century. Packer always wanted to write one of those big Systematic theologies. I was one of his students. In fact, I was his chaplain for a few years. Close personal mentor, brilliant man. He wanted to write one of those big systematic theologies, you know, that covers all the aspects of God. And he never got to write his systematic theology. Instead, he did something better. He wrote a catechism for the church. He wrote all the doctrine of God in the language that could be interacted with from the common man and woman in the pew so we could grow in our knowledge of who God is. And here's the wonderful thing about Packer's Catechism, is you gotta follow the order of salvation. 
You gotta understand where the goodness, where the good works come from. They are never things that start at the beginning. It's never about ethics first and then God starts to love me and then I can move on. No, it's always about God loves me first, my life is transformed first, and then in time, sanctification takes place and ethics follow. Are you following me? The four parts of Packer's Catechism, you start with beginning with Christ. In other words, you first have to be introduced to Jesus. You got to begin that issue of a call, come to me and how we respond. But then we move to believing in Christ. That's where we study the creeds. Okay, now I believe in Jesus. Great. Following believing in Christ, we belong to Christ. That's where we study the Lord's prayer and the sacraments and what it means to live in the life of this community. We belong to Christ. And then finally, what comes at the end? Oh, it has to come at the end. We become like Christ. We become like Christ. That's where we study the Ten Commandments and the ethics of Christian living. You see the order? It begins because God has taken the initiative with us and done a work in us to transform us into that which we were not before. We are now sheep. Yes, by the miracle of God's grace, we stand righteous before the throne of God. And because of that, then the call is live into this gift that God has given you. Live like a sheep. You know, I think of Hannah Moore, the great Anglican evangelical of the 18th century. She was a woman of great wealth, society in London, and she left that comfortable life in order to spend her life fighting for the abolition of slavery, fighting for prison reform, fighting for education for the poor, and even fighting against animal cruelty. All because she was a committed Christian, a committed evangelical Anglican who believed that her faith, which was a gift to her, was then calling her to act in response to that faith. This was a little poem she wrote. She says, how shall I know a tree's alive unless I see it bear and thrive? Your works not growing on my root would prove they were not genuine fruit. If faith produce no works, I see, that faith is not a living tree. Thus, faith and works together grow. No separate life they e'er can know. Their soul and body, hand and feet, what God hath joined, let hand and heart, I said feet, I ruined Hannah's poem. Their soul and body, hand and heart, what God hath joined, let no man part. Sounds just like James chapter 2, verse 17. The primacy is on faith. It all begins with faith. But what does James say? Faith without works is dead. What has faith produced in you? And what is faith producing in you and me? Right? We are sheep if we're in Christ. And even if we struggle with it, we are still being called to serve. Isn't it interesting in verse 35 and 36, when you look at the least of these that Jesus describes, those who are by definition at the very bottom, those who are very low, who have got nothing to offer you in return, right? There's no transactional relationship here. Like I'll do a little bit for you, you do a little bit for me. No, these are the folks at the bottom who you serve and you get nothing back in return. The least of these. It's interesting how simple 
the work that Jesus calls us to is. Now, I'm not saying that serving the least of these is easy, but listen to what John Chrysostom says. John Chrysostom, early century golden tongue preacher, as they called him, he said, notice what Jesus does not say. He doesn't say, I was sick and you healed me. He says, I was sick and you visited me. He doesn't say, I was in prison and you liberated me. He said, you came to me. Do you see that the call is even to such a small and simple act, and yet Jesus says he will receive it as service to himself. Or in the words of Mother Teresa, we can do no great things, only small things with great amounts of love. This call to service that is placed over our lives, we feel it. You know how that is when you actually do serve another, when you pour out yourself for another, and you, you feel something. Something actually takes place in your heart. You feel an inner movement of something. And, and the seculars would say, oh, that's just you assuaging your guilt. Like you've just got this guilt, and so you know, it just makes you feel a little better. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible, in fact, would tell us that what we're feeling is a sense of calling and vocation. That this is what's been wired into us from the beginning, that we are meant to be sheep who serve. That this has been always from the foundation of the world, the calling on human beings is that we would serve those around us. We would pour ourselves out around us for the least of these. The problem is we fight it. We struggle against it. We fail at it. We try to push it away. We hide it under a bushel. But the truth is the call remains. You know, I know I've told the story before, but it's worth telling again that a number of years ago, we lost our dwarf hamster upstairs. It's a terrible thing to have a mouse loose in your house. We had no idea where the dwarf hamster was. And then my youngest had a brilliant idea. She said, let's get Levi, the mini schnauzer, because you know what mini schnauzers were bred for? They're ratters. They're there to find rodents. And so we kept him on a leash so he wouldn't destroy the dwarf hamster. Um, but she took him upstairs and within moments, this dog who had never gone hunting for a mouse in his life, who had been so domesticated, within moments, his deep inner wiring took hold of him and he was on the hunt and found the dwarf hamster, cornered the beast and everyone was saved. He was the hero because he was living into the calling that he'd been wired with. We struggle against this call. We struggle to serve. All the siren voices around us that say, you gotta take care of yourself and let's be practical about these things. They all tell us that there's reasons to push aside this call to service and yet we will never be fully alive until we are pouring ourselves out for the least of these. You know, I mentioned J.I. Packer a moment ago, one of the greatest minds of the last century. And Packer, when he was turning 80, I think, it was his birthday at his church in Vancouver. And the rector of the church, David Short, decided to invite the whole church to a big party afterwards for Dr. Packer. And there was a big cake and they were celebrating Dr. Packer. I think it was his 80th birthday. And at the microphone, the rector, his pastor said of Jim Packer, this, uh, this amazing theologian, he said, you know, Jim, and you got to appreciate Middle Earth for this, and if you don't, 
have I been with you so long and you still don't know what Middle Earth is? But <laughs> Tolkien, but he says, every fellowship needs a Gandalf. And that's what you've been to us, Jim. Well, Jim got up to the microphone and he said, in typical Jim Packer fashion, that's very nice, thank you, that's very kind. But in fact, all I've ever wanted to be is a Samwise Gamgee. A servant called into service to his master. This is the call that is on our lives. Jesus, if you're in Christ Jesus, if you'd said yes to that call, you are a sheep. You can't undo what he's done. And that call to serve is on your life. Stop struggling against it. But finally, we serve as we've been served. This is the brilliant thing about this passage is when we understand what he's saying here, this is not rocket science. This is not something that is foreign to us. This is very personal. You and I know exactly what it means to serve the least of these because we have been served as the least of these. Let me show you what I mean. Verse 35. What is the definition of the least of these? The hungry, the thirsty, the stranger, the naked, the sick, the imprisoned. The least of these are those who are on the very bottom who've got nothing to offer, right? Nothing to offer. Is that not how Jesus found you and I when he met us? Is that not what we were when he found us and came into our lives? Were we not hungry and thirsty for life, for truth? Were we not strangers to God? Were we not naked in our shame and sick and imprisoned to our sin? And Jesus came to us as the least of these and poured out everything for our salvation. Long my imprisoned spirit lay, fast bound in sin and nature's night. Mine eye diffused, a quickening ray I rose, the dungeon filled with light. My chains fell off, my heart was free. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. My chains fell off, my heart was free. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. Is this not the gospel? That Jesus found us when we were at the very bottom and poured out the very best that we would be made whole. As Tim Keller says, if you don't love the poor, you don't know what Jesus has done for you. He, being rich, became poor for our sake, that we by his poverty might be made rich. I close with this with the story of Blaise Pascal. Some of you know Pascal. He's famous for his Pascal's wager. Many people learn that. It's a philosophical principle that it's smarter to at least try to believe in God if there is eternal consequences than not. But Pascal had such a deep personal faith in Jesus that most people have forgotten. He, in fact, is one of the brightest minds that ever lived. 
Those of you who work in math or in physics and philosophy know that in the philosophy of science and in math and physics, Pascal is a, a genius champion. I mean, Einstein and Newton and Stephen Hawking, I mean, they're brilliant, but they build on what Pascal developed. Some have said even today that you can in the 21st century walk 10 meters without bumping into something that Pascal built or dreamed or conceptualized. One of the most brilliant men who's ever walked the earth. And when he died, the cathedral, yes, was full of all the dignitaries. But at the back and flowing into a filled and overfilled street were all the beggars and the poor in town attending his funeral. Why? Because this brilliant man, on November 23rd, 1621, a little over 400 years ago, he finally surrendered his life to Jesus. He wrote in his journal, today, I have met my redeemer and I surrender all to him. And for the rest of his life, he gave away his wealth. He gave away what he had. And that is why that cathedral was full, not just of dignitaries, but of the poorest of the poor, the least of these. Why? Because he knew he'd been served by the king. He had been met as the least of these and served by the king. And so he lived his life in response to such a service and said, Oh Lord, you've made me a sheep. Help me now to serve as you've served me. Friends, I know which of these groups I want to be in. But I struggle to live like a sheep. And I know most of you do as well. Here's the good news in this seemingly scary story. Is that God has come and made us what we could not make ourselves. That as we say yes to that call, come to me from Jesus, that he transforms us and makes us into sheep. We can stand righteous and welcomed before his throne on the last day of judgment. Thanks be to God. But know with that transformation, there comes a call that will not be put aside. The call to serve. The call to pour out ourselves our time, our talents, yes, and even our treasures for the least of these around us. Why? Because that's our own story. So have we been served. And that's why when we come to the table each and every week, this is Jesus reminding us of what it means to serve the least of these. He invites us forward to his table every week to remind us, to strengthen us, to encourage us. Because as we come and we kneel, what are we doing? We're watching the least of these, us, being served again by the king. And as we receive, as we are served by the servant king, he then sends us out. And so, so now go. Do as you have received. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.